welcome Waterstone to Good Friday, uh, our Good Friday service. We're so glad that you're here with us tonight and that you could join us uh, for this special service. Uh, to be honest with you, Good Friday is always favorite services at Waterstone. Uh, and even though it's a little different this year, uh, I do want to let you know that we're going to have many of the same elements that we typically have on a Good Friday. So tonight we're going to have time to worship together and you're going to hear hymns uh, that you have sung uh, maybe for your entire life. You're going to hear songs uh, that sing praises to Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. And we just want to encourage you during those moments of worship uh, to feel free to take whatever posture feels comfortable to you. So you could sit, uh, you could stand, you can kneel. Um, we would even encourage you to, to maybe turn the lights down at your house or, or, or light a candle in the room you're watching uh, just to help get the tone of Good Friday that we typically experience when we gather together here at the church. Uh, beyond that, we'll also have moments of, of prayer and liturgy, uh, responsive prayer where we gather together um, to, to exalt Jesus through prayer. And we would encourage you at home to, to pray along with us when it says together, uh, feel free to, to chime into those places and, and echo those prayers uh, to God in heaven. And beyond that, we are really excited. We are actually going to be able to take communion together this evening. Uh, and it may be a little different uh, than we've done in the past, uh, but we're excited to take that sacred uh, sacrament together. And we would encourage you, if you haven't gathered those yet, you will actually have a moment later in the service to do so. So you don't have to get up and, and, and gather them now. Um, beyond that, we would also say that if you don't have wine or juice or crackers or bread, feel free to use whatever elements you feel comfortable with. These are pandemic times and, uh, and you have the grace of the church to do that. You know, we gather together uh, to take communion, to worship, and to pray on Good Friday, to ponder and to reflect on this deep truth, that God died, Christ in Jesus, or God in Christ Jesus died on Good Friday. And we know that in Good Friday, God knows what it is to suffer and to die with us. You know, it's interesting, when we think of the names of God, one that we're all familiar with is one that we don't often associate with Good Friday. The name Emmanuel, God with us. Now often when we think of the name Emmanuel, God with us, we come up images in our head of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. But I want you to picture for a moment Jesus, God, wrapped in grave clothes, lying in a tomb. You see, while we think of Emmanuel, God with us, and we think of those swaddled clothes, and we think of, of a baby lying in a manger, there has never been a moment when God was more our Emmanuel than when he was wrapped in grave clothes and lying in a tomb. That is the deep truth of Good Friday, and that is what we have come together tonight to ponder, to reflect, and to worship. And so now I would encourage you to... to Join me in this responsive prayer. Let us remember Jesus, who though rich became poor and dwelt among us, who was mighty indeed, healing the sick and the troubled, who as a teacher to his disciples was their companion and servant. And together, may we ever be grateful for Jesus the Christ and what he has done for us. 
Let us remember Jesus who prayed for the forgiveness of those who rejected him and for the perfecting of those who received him, who loved all people and prayed for them even if they denied him and rejected him who hated sin because he knew the cost of pride and selfishness, of cruelty and hatred, both to people and to God. May we ever be grateful for Jesus the Christ and what he has done. Let us remember Jesus who humbled himself, obedient unto the cross. God has exalted him who has redeemed us from the bondage of sin and given us new freedom. May we ever be grateful for Jesus, the Christ, and what he has done for us. They took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There, they crucified him, with him, with two others, one on either side, with Jesus in between them. Pilate also had an inscription written put on the cross, It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests, the Jews, said to Pilate, Do not write King of the Jews, but instead this man said, I am King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to the bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and for my clothing they cast lots, and that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. This morning, I woke up and I read Matthew's account of Good Friday, Matthew 27. And to be honest, I was convicted of a fact that I realized I have been more than happy to just sort of pass the cross, glancing at it, looking at it briefly, and carrying on. You might know what I'm referring to. It's as if I'm a person who lives in a city who lives near a famous landmark where tourists just flock to and stand in awe. 
But instead, that person in that city is so used to that amazing thing that once brought awe that they pass by on their morning commute, whether it's Stonehenge or the Eiffel Tower or the Golden Gate Bridge. And they're more happy to check out their audiobook or change the station they're listening to or look at their phone than stand with the rest of those in awe of the great sight. As I was reading Matthew and realizing this about myself when it comes to looking at the cross, looking at the crucifixion, I realized that Matthew actually breaks the people in that narrative into two different groups. The first are those who do walk by and quite literally look quickly. They scoff at Jesus. They say things to Jesus hanging on the cross like, you said you were so close to God. If that's true, Why don't you ask him now to help you? You said you were his son and he loved you. If that's true, why don't you save yourself? They walked by and passed the cross. And then there's a second group that Matthew describes. It's actually two different groups. The first are Jesus's most faithful followers, almost all women who Matthew says were standing and watching the cross, staring at Jesus on it from afar. And the second group, were the soldiers who Matthew says were sitting and watching the cross. Surely they had mocked Jesus and beaten Jesus and gambled for his clothes, but they were watching him. What's most interesting is at the end of the chapter, it's those who were watching, who paused, who stared, that end up like the soldiers declaring, surely this was the son of God. So here's my invitation, that in this moment, no matter how much your first grade teacher stressed how rude it was to stare, that you would stare at the cross, that you would observe it, that you would watch Jesus' crucifixion and see what it says to you. So what does the cross say to you? What do you see when you look at Jesus there? The first thing I see is myself, my selfishness, my self-centered attitude about my life and ultimately my sin. Are you more like Pilate who, when he had the power with Jesus's life, quite literally washed his hands metaphorically and told the crowd, I have no part of this man's blood. Or do you see yourself too in the cross? You know, the only true thing the crowd shouted out that day was in response to Pilate's washing his hands. They said, this man's blood is on our hands and our children. I believe the same is true for us. That Jesus, his act of going to the cross was a necessity because of my and your self-centeredness. But I don't just see my sin. In fact, I think it's a mistake to pause and only see that. I also see the goodness of God, God's character. That God, seeing a world filled with people that were self-centered and cheaters and liars and power-hungry and money-loving and pursuers of their own pleasure, that he looked at that world and decided That's the world that I'll enter, that I'll give my life for, 
Not just so they can be forgiven, but actually so they can join me. I want those people, those cheating, adultery, uh, self-centered racist, those with hate in their heart, I'm willing to die for because of the goodness in my heart for them to spend eternity in heaven. So I think when I look at the cross, I clearly see myself, my sin, And then I see Jesus's goodness, his character. But the last thing I look at the cross and see is Jesus's control. You know, I have to say that I imagine on the very first Good Friday, the followers of Jesus that Matthew says are standing from afar watching him could not have thought that Jesus was in control. And today, in the midst of of a chaotic and disruptive time in our entire world, potentially one of the hardest Good Fridays that the church has had to endure, that you might also be thinking just like the followers of Jesus, if God was in control, this wouldn't be happening. And I'll be honest, I don't condemn them, I don't condemn you, and I hope you don't condemn me for those same thoughts. So then this might be a moment where it's helpful to pause. And instead of asking what we see when we look at the cross, ask what Jesus saw as he hung on the cross. What was his view from the cross? As quite literally, darkness was coming closer. Death was getting right up next to his face. In that space, filled with darkness and death, what was Jesus's view. I think Jesus knew in that moment that as dark and hopeless as it seemed, that it was part of God's plan. And before you check out, let me prove that to you. Psalm 22, which by the way, the words were written, whether you're a Christian or an atheist or anywhere in between, no one would doubt that these words were written six hundred years before Jesus hung on a cross on that very first Good Friday. But let me read to you what was said about the man who had come from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, And am not silent. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. I believe Jesus knew these words. I believe Jesus knew that as death was getting closer and closer, that this would be the first and last day that he would put death into its own burial site. I believe Jesus knew that on this day, 
the day when he would be killed in what seemed like a hopeless and weak moment of his life on earth. That the invitation to every person who'd ever died from war or famine, and yes, viruses, that their invitation to heaven and eternity with him was printed on that day. I believe Jesus's view from the cross was filled with hope and love for you and for me. Jesus's last words on the cross, according to John, the closest disciple to him, were not, when Sunday comes, it will be finished. Jesus's last words on the cross were, it is finished. I want to read you how this psalm, Psalm 22, the same one I referenced, that Jesus would have known and studied well, written 600 years before the first Good Friday. This is how Psalm 22 ends. Verse 31. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. The word of the Lord. At this time, we're going to have a responsive prayer, a liturgical prayer. And so if you are able at home, I'd invite you to stand now as we read this together. I'll read the leader portion and we will read the together portion. If you're able, would you stand? Loving God, we know that you love us. So we confess that we have let you down. Every day we betray you, deny you, misunderstand you, crucify you. We betray you when we are selfish or unkind. We deny you when we do not speak out for justice and truth. We misunderstand you when we justify our actions by misquoting your teaching. We are truly sorry and we wait for your word of love through Christ our Lord. Jesus, Lamb of God, and together have mercy on us. Jesus, bearer of our sins, have mercy on us. Jesus, redeemer of the world, grant us peace. Now hear this aside and this assurance. When you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him you. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Brothers and sisters, through the cross of Christ, we are forgiven and the power of evil is broken. At this time, we'll have a brief moment of reflection to prepare your hearts if you have the elements at home to take communion. And if you do and have not yet, I'd encourage you to go and get those ready. We'll give you a brief moment to reflect on what you see when you look at the cross and maybe more importantly, what Christ saw as he hung there.
the same Jesus that went to the cross because he loves you, invites you to the table, the Lord's table, with these words. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thanks be to God. The refrain of Good Friday is, it is finished. It is accomplished. God in Christ Jesus has declared it done. That is our hope, and that is where we claim victory on the cross. In the moments of darkness, in the moments that look like defeat, we can see that God has always been in control. And that is our hope and why we cling to the cross. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for this Good Friday service. We hope that this service encouraged you and blessed you. Um, and we are looking forward to celebrating Easter with you on Sunday. We have three services av available for you, 8, 10, 30, or 8, 9.30, and 11. Uh, and we are looking forward to that time together with you. But let me pray to wrap up this service tonight. Heavenly Father, God, there's so many moments in our lives, moments of darkness, moments of fear, moments of anxiety, moments where we cannot see um, beyond the moment. And yet what we see from scripture is that you are a God who is in control. You are a God who loves us, who knows our needs and who intervenes on our behalf. You are a God who sends his son to die in our place. Father, we pray as we go into this weekend of Easter and this reflection on, on the death of Jesus and his resurrection, may the reality and the truth that you are a God who is in control of every circumstance, of every situation, of every moment of our lives, allow us to find peace and joy and satisfaction in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.